Welcome. This show is sponsored by Honey Road, the best restaurant in Burlington, featuring Eastern Mediterranean small plates at the corner of Church and Main. Here's head chef Kara Tobin. You want to make it so that as soon as the dish is put down in front of someone, they look at it and they say, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And then they pick up the obvious cutlery, which sounds like a weird thing, but if someone's like, should I fork or should I with a spoon or do I need to cut, you know, like, I don't want them to have to think about it that much. Honey Road, you never have to wonder which fork to use. Now onto the show. This is Rumble Strip by Merica Heilman. When you meet someone for the first time, or you're at a barbecue, you're at a party, and someone says, hey, what do you do? And I say, oh, I work with victims of crime. And oh, wow. You know, people don't want to go there, and I don't blame them, because what we see is not things that people want to talk about. They don't want to talk about rape and murder and trauma. So it's kind of hidden. We hold lawyers and law enforcement as these protectors of society and the law and and keeping us safe. And then you're kind of part of that, but you're kind of not. And so you're a little bit invisible in all of that. You're talking to the victims and you're learning about the most horrible thing that's happened to them. So, you know, it's not the lightest topic for the barbecue. That's Amy Farr. She's the victim advocate for the Attorney General's office here in Vermont. I'm embarrassed to say that before I did these interviews, I never really knew what a victim advocate did. To be honest, it sounded like a kind of hand-holdy position, not a prosecutor or defense attorney, not someone who's going to win or lose anything, certainly nobody you're going to see in a courtroom drama. But really, victim advocates are a little bit invisible because victims, or alleged victims, can be sort of invisible. The criminal justice system is not designed to answer to the needs of crime victims. It's designed to figure out if there's enough evidence to bring a case. And if there is, then a defense attorney builds a case for the defendant and a prosecutor builds a case for the state of Vermont. The victim in the case becomes a witness in their own story. They may have felt the impact of a crime, but they play no direct role in how the crime is adjudicated. And for most people brand new to the criminal justice system, this comes as a shock. In every Vermont prosecutor's office, in the state police, in the Department of Corrections, there are people who see to the needs of these victims from the time a crime is reported until long after the attorneys have gone home. It's not their job to build cases or determine guilt or innocence. Their job is to support the victims in their cases. And that can mean a million different things, and a lot of times it's messy and complex and deeply personal. This is Kate Brayton, victim advocate for Vermont's Major Crime Unit. She works with the families of people who are killed in homicides in Vermont. Here's Kate. You know, I know I'm entering somebody's life on their worst day. Um, I know I'm, I'm, this is the worst case scenario for a family. And so when I go in, there is not only this incredible trauma that's being experienced in real time, but there's also a bunch of tasks and um, barriers for uh for their support. So for instance, we gather electronic devices and those may include numbers, names, contacts of people who are supports for the family. And so we need to make sure we have that information. If the home is a crime scene, then people aren't allowed back in their home. 
So we need to find an alternate place to stay. They might have medications in the home. There might be pets to be taken care of. There um, might be damage to the home where they can't go in for a period of time. You know, there's possibly funeral arrangements and cause of death and all sorts of things that are being found out over time. And my job is really to work with the family to help get those tasks done and figure those out. It's a compli- investigations are complicated and they're intrusive um, and they're really important. And so working with the family to talk about that, about what it's going to be like and how it's going to feel and what they um, are going to be experiencing over the next days, weeks, months. And some investigations are fairly short, meaning a period of weeks. And other investigations I've been working um, from, you know, years. And the major crime unit itself is a really great team of people who are fairly victim-centered and you know that's why I exist. It was it was the major crime team leadership who said, um, you know, we need somebody who who can care for these families during this process because there's a lot of potential system harm that can happen. Again, here's Amy Farr with the Attorney General's office. My job is to work with victims in the cases that we are prosecuting. I help them navigate the criminal justice system, and um, one of the things that I do is help make sure that their voice is heard in the process. And I think people have expectations about what justice is and what the system will do and what law enforcement will do and who's going to press charges. And the reality is when a case is being brought in a criminal case, the state of Vermont is bringing the charge. It's not person versus person. And so from the get-go, that victim does not have standing in the case. And so from the beginning, we work with people to explain this. But you have to remember that a case going through the system can take anywhere from a year or two years or three years. And, you know, some of them are resolved earlier than that. But it can be a very, very long journey for someone once the the state has charged a case. And their ability to participate in that process is very limited. Um, And there can be months and months and months where nothing is happening, they don't hear from anybody, and that can feel frustrating, and it can feel very disconnected from something that that you're at the center of. There is a reason why people are innocent until proven guilty. I think we agree that that system is a system we are glad that we are part of. Yes. Right? So... We are assuming someone is a victim before it's been proven that they're a victim. So it's not my job to say this person is reliable or credible or I'm not the prosecutor, I'm not the defense attorney, and I'm not a law enforcement officer. I'm not trying to determine whether or not she's or he is credible. A jury will do that. The lawyers will do that. My job is to um, meet with a person who says that he or she has been victimized and to um, work with that person in the best way that I can to address the harm that's happening for them and to help them navigate this system that we would all agree is complicated and complex. And at the end of the day, the result is the result, and we all live with it. And whether or not it's a reflection of whether or not the crime happened, that's not my job. This is Amy Stearns, Victim Witness Coordinator at the U.S. Attorney's Office. This job is 24-7. 
no two ways about that. You get calls in the middle of the night. You get texts in the middle of the night. You may have tried. You may have thought you had everything set up, like the person was checking into the hotel in Atlanta, and it was all going to work out. But then they don't have the proper ID, and now they're on the curb, and and you at like two in the morning are making. 20 calls to try to figure out how you're going to get them off the street in a in a, another state and you're doing a lot of troubleshooting 24/7. This is Danielle Levake, victim service specialist at the Department of Corrections. So she's sort of the end of the line. Mostly she meets with victims at sentencing when an offender is handed off to the Department of Corrections. Sentencing law is super complex and the rules around sentencing are really complex. So um, an offender can get a sentence with a, a minimum and maximum release date. And without someone sitting there with you who necessarily understands how that may play out once a person hits the custody of the Department of Corrections, you might think that that person is gonna be in jail until their maximum date. You might not realize that everyone is eligible for a release at their minimum release date, provided they've done what they needed to do within the Department of Corrections, like programming, for instance. Um, so I think that we set people up to have unrealistic expectations of what the system has to offer. The criminal justice system as it's structured now works in the way that it is intended to, but it's not intended to address the needs of victims. Um, and I, I think that there's some promising work being done in the area of restorative justice, and I feel some hope about that. But the system as it exists, it could be improved on so that the outcomes for victims are meaningful to them um, and not just statistics um, for state's attorneys. In some cases, the culmination of the case is a trial and a trial in front of a jury and you might spend um, several weeks with a family sitting in a courtroom listening to a story unfold and this story is very contrived it's based on evidence it's based on what the lawyers need to do to prove the case so someone might be sitting in that Kate in that trial thinking about their loved one, but nothing about their loved one is coming out. And so they're sitting in this courtroom thinking about their loved one, but it is all about the offender, or it might be about um, the offender's um, state of mind, or, you know, how the ballistics were wrong, or you name it, like any evidence that happens. And I remember this one case where we actually had a confession and we're sitting there after weeks of trial and within this trial there were many trials and different issues that came up and nothing happened in a way that we even expected it from the prosecution team. Like every day was a new, um, a new obstacle that we had to go through. And what kind of case? This was a homicide case. And I remember when the jury came out with the verdict and I'm sitting there with the family who had come in from out of state and, um, you know, had spent three weeks in a hotel and, you know, eating crap food at a local restaurant because, or whatever, because that's, those are the conditions. You go to another city, you're going to, you know, you know how it is. And so then the, the jury four person stood up and said, the judge said, do you have a verdict? And she said, we do. And she said, not guilty. And I, how do you prepare someone for that? You can't. That offender is free and clear to walk out of the courtroom. 
Where do you go from there with a the family? The defense team, of course, is elated, and they're hugging, and, you know, they've won. And, and the state is packing up <laughs> their belongings, and we're putting them in the boxes, and we're picking up our exhibits, and the family is not sure what to do, how to react. They and the state believe that this person committed that crime. So what do you do? Because a jury has just said he didn't. And that's our system. Here's this family, and their child is still dead, and their child is not coming back. And that's why those years sometimes of talking about what they need and thinking of their healing as a process that is parallel or separate from the criminal justice system is so critical because anything can happen there. Victim advocates work on behalf of victims in a crime case, but they're also working for investigators and prosecutors to make sure that victims are useful in making a successful case, which can be conflicted. This is Kelly Woodward, victim advocate at the Franklin County State's Attorney's Office. She's also a victim advocate at the Northwest Unit for Special Investigations, which investigates sex abuse and serious child physical abuse. In those cases, she gets involved the moment a victim decides to tell the police what's happened, before the court gets involved. The part of the job that I like the most is meeting people when they first come in here, before they have given their statement to the police or as they give their statement to the police. Because I think that I can offer them something, resources, comfort, empathy, um, whatever they need at that moment, I can offer that to them. And I see some improvement in their lives, that I have made a difference in their lives. And once a charge is brought, then I I act as a liaison between them and the state's attorney's office who brings the charges. And they often, the state's attorney's office and the victim often have different goals. And I have to, I find myself mediating that, you know, mediating what's going on in the criminal justice system. That is the part of my job I like the least. Because I I feel like that's not a true support for victims. It's educating them about the system and supporting them throughout the system, but I don't think it helps their recovery or their healing. So that's the part of the job I don't like the most. You can be real with people and be like, look, this is gonna suck. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't wanna be here, you don't wanna be here. That's Val Gauthier, victim specialist at the FBI. She covers Vermont and the Plattsburgh area. Sometimes you're having to encourage them to show up for an interview or, you know, later on, if you're helping out at that point, show up with trial. And sometimes it goes against what they need. And on one end, you know, it's really important that these people who abused these women or, you know, if it's elderly or whoever you're working with need to be held accountable. But then on the other end, you're working with this person who's just struggling and has been through so much trauma. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. I think it's very difficult for somebody who's been terribly abused by a defendant to have to come in and be in the same room with that defendant and that defendant who has threatened them and has done heinous things to them have to sit there and look at them and talk about what's happened in front of them. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, this upcoming trial, and I'm thinking there isn't one victim that I'm dealing with who's also a witness 
who wants to come in and testify. Not one. And so as much as I... So I'm dealing with them, and the prosecutor is saying all these people are going to have to come in and testify, but they don't want to testify, but they have to testify. But then when they go in and they do testify, almost every single one feels stronger and better. They usually come out kind of like pounding their chest and saying, I did it, like I feel good. Like it's like overcoming one of their biggest fears is to go in and face this person who's done horrible things to them. So when a crime happens, you're encouraged there's this cultural narrative where you're encouraged to make a report to the police in hopes that you're reporting and going to the hospital to have evidence collected is going to hold that person accountable and they're not going to hurt anybody else again. But I think what I see is that the cost of that is really, really high. And by the time a person reaches the post-conviction phase, they don't know that it was worth it. You know, I sometimes hear that given the chance to do it over, they would not report. I just interviewed someone um, for a PSI recently who had a bad experience at the hospital, a bad experience reporting to law enforcement, and is currently having a bad experience um, through the prosecution. And she just feels like all of the, she did everything that she was supposed to do, and she's not getting back what she expected. When I heard her story, I immediately like wanted to offer her options for other ways that she could try to advocate for herself, but she's like, I'm tired. I don't wanna do this anymore. I don't have any more energy for this. Why should I continue to push if this is all that I can expect to get in return. Again, here's Amy Farr with the Attorney General's office. There are some people who don't like the word victim. There are some people that prefer the word survivor. And, you know, I, when I'm working with someone, however they choose to identify, that's, that's fine for me. But I always think, like, why is victim such a dirty word? Someone who's been victimized had no choice in that. Someone who's victimized is someone who's been affected by a crime. And there's shame around it. And did I do something wrong? You know, did I contribute to my own victimization? And I say, no. You're at a party. And somebody asks you what you do. I know. Isn't that like just a, like a showstopper? <laughs> it's like everybody's partying and they're like, oh, what do you do? I work with victims of crime. And they're like, oh, well, what does that mean? Well, like, who do you work with? Oh, I work with victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, child pornography, murder, you know. And they're like, oh, yeah, tell us about that. And they all walk away. <laughs> my family doesn't want to talk about it. My partner doesn't want to talk about it. They can't. They don't have the capacity anymore. So sometimes you get in this situation when someone might actually want to listen to you and you're like, blah, let me just like vomit everything that I want to say. So yeah, you're at a party and you know, people want to know what you're all about and start to tell them and it's, they seem sad for me. <laughs> Or <laughs> um, they disclose their history of 
sexual abuse or and you know it's, it's just like taking on more than I want to over you know the cheese doodle bowl <laughs> the part of it that's especially hard is that when I'm here and I'm exposed to all this harm I'm kind of numbed to the everyday tragedies that my kids experience like you know my, my daughter didn't get invited to a birthday party and she's sad about it I'm like suck it up dude <laughs> you know <laughs> unless you've been <laughs> touched inappropriately by your gym teacher then <laughs> it's just pathetic no I don't want to be that person <laughs> I think when you're meeting people at probably the worst time in their life um, and they're depending on you in some way, they really let you in. And somehow you're able, hopefully, you're able to bring some, you know, peace and light and um, at least some really good support around their experience. So, you know, I meet um, victims later and they'll, they'll say to me, oh, you made it, you know, like the best it could be for me. Like, I'll always remember that. And that's very gratifying. It's a point of pride to me to know that I can can stomach some pretty hard stuff um, and not be sidelined by the emotions that it brings up for me. And um, But I think it's a really tricky balance because a way that it's easy to fail in this work is when you are not open to the pain that people are describing. And I'm called on to just kind of reach down into the core of my humanity um, and show up for people all the time. That was Amy Farr, Amy Stearns, Danielle Levesque, Val Gautier, Kate Brayton, and Kelly Woodward. I want to especially thank Tony Monsi for introducing me to all these women. I also want to thank Jessica Dorr and Kelly Green. Music for the show is by Vermont musician Brian Clark and Kai Engel. If you have any comments on the show, I would love to hear them. Just go to my website, which is uh, rumblestripvermont.com, and click on the show page. There's a comment box at the bottom of the page. And if you want to make a donation to the show, that would also be really great. Uh, there's a green donate button at the top right corner of the website. And finally, I have t-shirts for sale. They say Rumble Strip. It's a podcast. You can find them on my website also. Uh, again, it's rumblestripvermont.com. Once again, this show is sponsored by Honey Road, the very best restaurant in Burlington on the corner of Church and Main. Go eat there and tell them I sent you. I'll be back soon with another show. Thanks a lot for listening.